Our beer of the week this week is a mango Juicy J from Legion Brewing. You know, a mango is a tropical fruit, and we kind of had a heat wave over uh, over Christmas, so wanted to get something that made us feel like we're in the Caribbean during this little heat stretch here. Did did you say mango? Oh, I, I mean mango. Um, I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and dear friend Jacob LaCroix. Uh, we're going to break down the latest Panthers loss. We had a close game, a competitive game at Bank of America, so that was exciting to see. Um, we, we really, I, I don't think the game really went the way we thought it would. Our defense allowed 33 points. What were you most disappointed with with that group? Uh, I know you talked a lot about the run game prior to recording, but were there other things that you saw? Uh, it was mainly the run game, to be quite frank. It's like they got bullied. You have it written down here that uh, LaFleur outdueled Evero, but I wouldn't even say that. I just think that they couldn't stop the run early, particularly in the first quarter. Aaron Jones ripped off two long runs. I think he had his longest run of the season uh, against us in that fir- first quarter. And then kind of the zone defense we were playing, they allowed too many third down conversions, I thought, in the first half. And that's really what built up that hole that we had to climb out of. And we did at the end of the game. We did. Uh, Jordan Love had this great, like, off his back foot throw on a third and 10 that set up a touchdown right before the first half. And like you said, we couldn't stop the run game. We got bullied by a top 10 offensive line. And I think that's more indicative of not having uh, some interior defensive line pieces to pair with Derek Brown. I think YGM has come along in the run game. Brian Burns is still solid. Um, but like you said, we, we weren't containing gaps, uh, and then guys were getting open downfield, um, and we couldn't get out of our own way on offense. Uh, we missed, um, I, I say we missed, but Bryce missed, uh, Miles Sanders on a third and 10 on the second drive, then missed Sullivan for a touchdown in the second half. Granted, we score a touchdown on that drive with a Chuba handoff. Um, but it was just, it, it felt like we were, we, we, can't make mistakes if we want to win with the way our roster is currently situated. And we just made one too many. Yeah, it's felt like the whole team kind of got out to a slow start there in the first half because there are basically lights out in the second half. I believe we scored on th- scored touchdowns rather on three of our five second half drives, uh, one being a punt and one being uh, the end of the game where there was one second left and we couldn't get time to spike it there. But, uh, yeah, the whole team in that first half just uh, wasn't really in it, I don't think. But it was cool to see all the uh, the wrinkles that we had in the second half on offense, like Amir Smith-Marset uh, getting more run in the run game, getting involved in the passing game as well. DJ Chark uh, making plays. He had the crazy, like, back-of-the-end-zone catch where he's running to the sideline where Bryce hit him. To, well, that was the touchdown that tied it up, I believe. And then on that last 15-second uh, drive, he had a crazy toe-touch uh, catch along the right sideline. He's getting involved. Thielen had a good game. You mentioned Mingo. I actually didn't say Mingo. Uh, he only had one catch this game. But even he did some good stuff with uh, blocking in the in the past game as well. So a, a good performance in the second half from everyone. And Tommy Trimble had a pretty good game uh, as well. I think it was a career day for him in terms of catches and yards. So everybody getting involved. Uh, we, we just needed to do it earlier so that we weren't clawing from behind. I think we were down two possessions the majority of the game uh, following, or as soon as the second half started. 
Yeah, our first three touchdowns all came when we were down two possessions. Um, the last touchdown we obviously scored, we tied it up, and that's what made it interesting down the stretch. Like you said, DJ Chark, phenomenal. This was the stuff that we expected in the offseason from him to kind of step into that number one role, make some of these circus catches downfield. Um, and it's just now materializing at the end of the season. So you wonder now with the report, will we sign him to another one or two-year deal? Um, but for the most part, this is – this is a Packers defense that really isn't all that impressive. They've allowed, I don't think Bryce Young is going to be the NFC player of the week this week, but Tommy DeVito, Baker Mayfield, the past two weeks, uh, players of the week. And so it's one of those things, this defense can't stop anyone. And it was cool to see Bryce take advantage of that and actually uh, move the ball. Uh, both, both sides had success rate over 80% uh, on their series uh, in both pass and run. So whatever the offenses wanted to do, they were able to do it. And Thomas Brown had some creative run designs going back to the point you made about Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, he had the touchdown, uh, the first touchdown of the game. And that was cool. Uh, those wrinkles that we're seeing by Thomas Brown, like that's that's Thomas Brown. Like he was the run game coordinator in LA. And th those are the wrinkles he's bringing now. And it's cool to see. Yeah, Frank Reich had him uh, like in prison or something. I don't know what uh, he did to Frank Reich, but he never saw the field unless it was returning a punt. But now... It seems like when you get a guy who has a good trait, particularly his speed involved, good things happen. And it sucks that it took him till week 14. I know that's when a couple weeks ago when he was first getting involved. It sucks that it took him that long. But I'm glad he's really showing out and hopefully we can bring him back next year. I believe uh, he will be a free agent following this year. And we did trade. It wasn't a big trade to get him, but we I think we swapped sevenths with the Chiefs. So th there was at least something that made you feel like he was worth getting. And I think he's shown it here at the end of the year, along with being a good punt returner as well. He hasn't made many mistakes back there. I know he had a fumble, but he fell on it, I think, last week. And then he had the uh, the punt return touchdown in Chicago earlier this year. So I think he'd be a welcome addition to bring back. Hopefully that's a guy that they look at this summer as they try to retool that wide receiver room. Because despite the great days from Thielen Shark and ISM, we are going to need more, probably at least two more bodies at that position. Yeah, hopefully we draft one, we sign another free agent, uh, probably sign at least another guy to kind of be a backup or uh, push kind of Amir Smith-Marset for kind of one of those last roster spots going in the next year. Um, but this game, I know I know a lot of Panther fans are going like, this is this is kind of the prove it uh, or prove the haters wrong game by Bryce Young. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Bryce Young, but this is a game the Packers had a win probability over 75% of for the majority of the game. This was a game they were in the driver's seat. Now, when we go to that last drive, uh, both you and me really argued that uh, the Romeo Dobbs catch was a catch. Uh, had that kind of gone the other way, maybe this game goes to overtime and we pull it out. Now, what would be interesting is that the the two wins we've had this year, we didn't lead through, I think, the entire game or at least the fourth quarter. Um, so if we had been able to pull it out against the Packers, I think it would have been the same way, which is kind of intriguing. Like, give, give Bryce Young his flowers that rookie year that the wins we do pull off are from behind and it's kind of a game-winning drive, so to speak. Yeah, we haven't led at all in the fourth quarter like this entire season as both of our wins were uh, like walk-off field goals. But I think the Texans game we were leading uh, during like the second and third quarter. I think uh, after that first touchdown and field goal, we were up nine to seven or something like that. Um, so we've led a little bit. And then during the uh, the Bucks game, we led for like 12 seconds before Mike Evans had a 75-yard touchdown. So we have led a little bit, but not, not at all in the fourth quarter. But 
Speaking of fourth quarters, it was a really good fourth quarter for the offense. Bryce had 177 passing yards in the quarter, which I don't know if that's a franchise record or anything, but that's just a huge amount of yards to have in one quarter. And uh, I don't want to like gas him up too much because this was a bad Packers defense, but he took what they gave him. And even a lot of the windows that he made were really tight throws, like the one to Adam Thielen where Jair Alexander was trailing him on that drag route. I would say Alexander is probably a top five-ish corner in the league, and he puts it right where only Thielen can get it with the one-handed catch. And uh, he didn't turn up field, but still got a couple yards there. And then, like, the Chark throws, the one in the back of the end zone, a phenomenal throw. The one, uh, even the other Chark touchdown where he's coming across the middle, it was a bit behind, but uh, he put it where the DB couldn't really make a play on it, which was good to see. And then that last drive, uh, the Chark tote toe tap on the sideline that was also an excellent throw so it's it's good to see the progression from Bryce here hopefully he's able to build off of this as we go to Jacksonville uh on New Year's Eve I believe. no New Year's Day uh this yeah. upcoming week yeah I mean my biggest knock on Bryce and we've seen it over the course of the past like few weeks it's his his arm strength he missed Sullivan on a deep pass uh, I feel like he has been getting the ball to Chark. Uh, he had a great honey hole shot over Jair Alexander to DJ Chark. Wasn't his best catch. Obviously, you listed off probably the two or three uh, better ones. But it's it's good to see. And this is stuff that you, you play against Jacksonville, and they've been down bad against Jake Browning and Baker Mayfield in recent weeks. So you hope that Bryce is able to take advantage of that. And then he plays the Bucks again. And he had a good game against Tampa down in Tampa. And, and you play at Bank of America. And if they have their backups in, I think that's a game where you can at least pull off off a win and head in the offseason and feel good about how the last four or six weeks went compared to how the year started. So uh, definitely the direction we want to head. Uh, speaking about the Bucks and that week, uh, what, 18 matchup, they they had a really good game in week 16 against the Jaguars at home, really dominated. It jumped out to a 30-0 to lead, uh, made Trevor Lawrence look very, very pedestrian with a few turnovers. Uh, and then I think he went out with a concussion and then CJ Beathard came in and kind of uh, played the last quarter or so. Yeah. Uh, Jacksonville and Tampa are actually are both of our final opponents. So it's interesting that this is the game we picked, but uh, the QBs here seem to be going in opposite directions to close out the year. Baker, I think uh, kind of in stride. He's doing what he needs to do to get the win. And he's playing at a, a pretty relatively high level. And Lawrence, while he has been banged up, just keeps making mistakes. Uh, we saw this a couple weeks ago. I believe it was against the Browns, uh, the the one that the game that lasted forever, where Lawrence had uh, I think three interceptions that game. It, he just seems off as of late, and I don't know what it is, but hopefully they're able to remedy it because right now I think they are fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, I believe they're tied in record at least with the. Colts and I know the Houston Texans. The just Texans, lost, but they're, they're all eight and seven. Oh, all they're, they're all tied. Are. Yep. So, now the Jags currently have the tiebreaker. So the thing is, is that they all end the year, I think, at like nine and eight or ten and seven. I think the Jags might have the edge with some of the division head-to-head matchups. Right, but th- these are games they need to win, right? Like obviously yeah. the Panthers. I don't. I wouldn't say that we're a juggernaut by any means, but we're playing better down the stretch here, and we we have the opportunity to play spoiler, so we have something to play for. And uh, I don't know. It's it's just interesting to see how the Jaguars are heading right now because they were what eight and three a couple weeks ago, or I guess a month yeah, ago now, and now they're eight and seven. And it's not looking bright with Lawrence's injuries either. And I know we talked about a couple of weeks ago where 
this might be something where Doug Peterson has to step in and call plays, but I don't even know if that's going to remedy the situation anymore with the way the offense is performing. Well, I mean, Christian Kirk pretty much goes out for the year. This isn't a team built for a playoff run, so he's not going to be back for that. Uh, Zay Jones was out this past week, and when you start taking away some of these pass catchers and then you look at the state of their offensive line, which isn't good, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, like we talk about Tua kind of making up for his offensive line with the, the fastest time to throw in the NFL. Well, the guy that's at number three behind Tua and Mac Jones is Trevor Lawrence, and so he's trying to mitigate that with quick plays, and uh, when he's played teams like the 49ers or even the Baltimore Ravens, those are those are groups that can rally to those those quick passes and just make a tackle and then just put you in hell throughout the rest of the game. And sure enough, that's exactly what the Bucks do. Uh, they they force Lawrence in the mistakes, and he just he looks off. And it's one of those things that exactly like you said, Doug Peterson taking over plays. I don't think fixes some of those issues on the roster. This is something in the offseason that they're going to have to look at addressing. And you wonder if Trevor Lawrence can elevate kind of the guys around him because this is a guy that was touted as the next Peyton Manning, the next Andrew Luck, guys who took middling teams at times into the playoffs and looked still really good. They were putting up massive numbers regardless of some of these turnover-worthy plays, and we just haven't seen that that gaudy stat line production that we saw from those previous uh, top-of-the-end prospects. Yeah, I thought he had kind of hit the next gear the second half of last year going into the playoffs, but seems he's kind of regressed from that form. And on the other side of the ball, the Bucks are just rolling. I think they clinched the division if they get a win this week against New Orleans. So they that's did. an interesting one to look at. But uh, I just want to talk about Mike Evans because he, he didn't have like the best game ever for him. It was um, only 80 yards and two touch, 86 yards and two touchdowns, I should say. But he's been absolutely incredible this season. 13 touchdowns, uh, receiving touchdowns this year. Another 1,000-yard season. He's just – he's proven to everybody who – I don't know anybody who says he's not a Hall of Famer, but I'm sure there's people out there. He's proven them wrong. He is a Hall of Famer, and he's a big reason why Baker is able to perform at such a high level uh, relative to his own strengths uh, down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I think the only knock that you could say, and I, I'm with you here that Mike Evans is a first ballot Hall of Famer. His uh, consistent level, he's had several Pro Bowl nods. The only thing that I would say is kind of missing from his resume is he doesn't have an all-pro nod, and I don't think he's ever going to get one. If he is going to get one, this would be the year. But that's that's the only thing that I feel like is not on his resume. And it's it's been nice. Baker Mayfield has been a very accurate quarterback when getting the ball to him, um, and they've had really good chemistry. So this is something that if uh, the Bucks front office feels like this is uh, an offensive group that they kind of want to keep together, uh, they're going to probably look at extending Mike Evans and potentially Baker this offseason. And their offensive line has been playing at a top five level from a pass protection standpoint. So everybody's yelling on that side. Dave Canals looked like a good OC. Now, what I will say is, I, as a Panthers fan, I love the fact that Todd Bowles is the head coach here. I, I think that uh, some of his defensive play calling while being a head coach um, I feel like he gets stretched too thin and there's there's gaps and there's been a lot of teams. Uh, the Lions took advantage of it. Um, a couple other teams have taken advantage of it. Uh, the Colts, I think, in Indianapolis, where it's they're 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 a very uh, aggressive defense and you can take advantage of that with some of the stuff downfield. So um, moving past the Jags and Bucks, unless you have something else to talk about. Uh, we want to preview on Coach Talk a matchup this coming week between the Dolphins and the Ravens, and more specifically, Mike McDaniel and Mike McDonald. Yeah, uh, two of the best at their craft. Uh, I, I did want to throw into the Mike Evans thing real quick. 
I think this is the year for him to be all pro, if any year, because he does lead the league in receiving touchdowns, and uh, he's ninth in yards currently. So if he gets in, awesome. If not, uh, there's a ton of great receivers in the league. But on to the McDaniel versus McDonald uh, Mike Bowl, per se. Uh, This is going to be a good one. Uh, The the game this past uh, week didn't really show out, or the game last night, rather, between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and the 49ers. That was kind of a dud with the Baltimore Ravens defense really stymieing the Niners and Brock Purdy. Uh, Hopefully this one's a bit better because I I think Tua – and their offense is a bit more equipped to deal with defenses like this. They're all about speed and uh, rhythm and stuff like that. So if they can get Tyree Kill involved, if Mike, Mike McDaniel can uh, get stuff cooking, I think it'll be a good one. But he's going against probably the best defensive coordinator in the league in Mike McDonald, who uh, with his linebacker and DB's background has really taken the pieces that they've added this year and uh, mixed it up and made it very, very difficult for teams to get over that back end and beat them. Uh, on that side of the ball. So what's interesting is Mike McDonald and Mike McDaniel already faced off back in 2022 when both Mm -hmm. of them kind of had stepped into those first-time play-calling roles because even Mike McDaniel with his time uh, in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan's the guy calling plays. So uh, Mike McDonald gets his opportunity coming back from Michigan, uh, their defensive coordinator at the time, and going into the fourth quarter, that game was 35-14. You know how many points the Dolphins scored in that fourth quarter? In Baltimore, it, nonetheless. Yeah, it was uh, 28. Four touchdowns, right? Yep. And they, they ended up winning the game 42-38. So it's one of those things that I, I don't think Mike McDonald forgets that. And I think it's one of the things he's going to go into that game, and he wants to completely suffocate that offense. He's done it against, uh, I think, quality offensive coordinators this year with Ben Johnson and the Lions when they hosted him, Shane Waldron and the Seahawks when they hosted him. And he really had a statement win last night against the 49ers. I mean, he he had Purdy in hell in terms of the like, coverage aspects. And I, I understand it. There were two tip passes, but that first one, when he throws it directly at Stevens trying to get at the Debo, like if Stevens catches that, that's a pick six. So it's, it's one of those things that it was bad decision-making and there were definitely gaps in his coverage, but because he got in Purdy's head, the, the game was downhill really fast. And I think that's what McDonald's going to try to do is if he can get into his head early and often, there's going to be a lot of mistakes in this game. Now, I, I don't know what your take is on this. Obviously, the speed killed him last time, but I, I, I think this go-round, the Ravens are built to beat him. Uh, they've traded for Roquan Smith since then, and I feel like Lamar Jackson also wants to, to put on a 30-piece against this defense. I, I agree with what you're saying and the fact that they've kind of dominated some of these play callers like Shanahan, Waldron, uh, Ben Johnson, all the big NFC guys there. But I said earlier in the season, and I'm sticking by it, I think Mike McDaniel is the final evolution of all those guys. I think he's more creative than all of them. And I think that they have the talent on that side of the ball to make it interesting. You talk about how this might be a grudge game for Mike McDonald. Well, think about it from the Dolphins offensive perspective. Two or through six touchdowns in that game. They don't forget that either. This is a game where they could say, hey, let's let's follow up on this performance. Let's, let's do it even better. Let's make it to where we don't have to come from behind. And I think with guys like uh, A-Chain or A-Chan that they've added and uh, some of the wrinkles in the run game that they have with Mostert, who has, what, like 21 rushing touchdowns now or something bizarre, I think uh, Mike McDaniel 
Mike McDaniel can really uh, make it interesting for him there. I like the Dolphins' chances for this one because not only are they playing for the win and the one seed, obviously, but if they lose this one, they have to play the Bills, and that game decides the division. So if they win this one, they lock it up, and I believe they uh, will get the leg up on the one seed there. So both teams have a lot to play for this week, and it's another kind of MVP narrative week. Uh, which which we'll probably touch on here in a second, but um, with, between Lamar and now Tua Tagovailoa, I think those are the two leading QB guys that uh, that are going into this week that are going to be leading for that award. I believe actually Lamar is now first in betting odds. He dethroned Brock Purdy after that very uh, putrid performance from Purdy. Well, that's the thing. We've we've had so many of these MVP candidates, it feels like, over the past month where they're, they're leading for the week and then they have a bad game. And then the guy that was at number two uh, during that stretch, he bumps up the number one. And you made a point prior to recording that it's like, OK, if Tua has a big game and, and they do beat the Ravens and then they beat the Bills in, in week 18, they lock up the number one seed. And at that point, Tua, I think, does have a case like. Again, nobody's talking about because people that grade the the Dolphins offensive line, they're seeing like two seconds and, and the ball's out. So there's there's not time for them to lose reps, uh, time for Tua to get hit and kind of get rattled. And that's a credit to what Mike McDaniel's done. And, and Ingold, and I know a lot of people aren't talking about this, but it, their 11 personnel, the 21 personnel, there's a huge gap from like an EPA per play standpoint. And if they're able to kind of get big and bully the Ravens, which that's what the Ravens Ravens want to do with their linebackers, with Patrick Queen, with Roquan Smith. They drafted Kyle Hamilton, like some enforcers, and they're able to kind of bully them the way the Ravens want to bully teams. It kind of changes things, and that's what makes this matchup so interesting. And I think Mike McDaniel, he's he's the best offensive play caller. I think he's the coach of the year right now in the NFL. And you have this guy in Mike McDonald, who I think is a, a top candidate for the Panthers this year if we don't land, land like a Ben Johnson for being the next coach. And I think he could change the culture here in Carolina, and he's one of those guys that I think is going to deserve uh, being a head coach, no different than a guy like D'Amico Ryans at Houston. So we'll see kind of where that all goes. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more in kind of the MVP watch. But was there anything you wanted to touch on with these two guys as we're wrapping up Coach Talk? Uh, no, I agree with everything you said. If there was like a Broyles Award, which is like best – uh, not head coach, but assistant coach in college. If there was like that in the NFL, it would go to Mike McDonald. And I agree that Mike McDaniel should be in the running for coach of the year, especially if they get the one seed there. But this should be, this should be a very interesting game. Kind of sucks that it's in the one o'clock window for us, but hopefully it's a really good one and uh, has a lot of fireworks. Yeah, no, I I expect it to be good uh, one way or the other, whether it's both teams are scoring under 20 points or both are scoring 30 plus. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be really fun to see. Now, talking about offensive explosion and best performances this past week, we typically have a theme, and this week we're looking at wide receivers that help their teams win with really, really big performances, the first of which being Amari Cooper. Uh, the Browns went in the Houston, handled business, and he had 11 receptions, 265 yards and two touchdowns. And for you fantasy people that are uh, trying to win championships, get to the championship game, he put up over 50 points. This is a guy that really moved a needle and and really helped uh, several teams out during the stretch. Yeah, this was the Browns franchise record for most receiving yards in a game. And it's easy to see why 265 yards is absolutely insane. I think 
actually they left some on the table there uh maybe in the third quarter they kind of sputtered out uh in the red zone and the texans got the ball back so he could have had three touchdowns but he had an absolute monster day and a big credit for this goes to joe flacco who's had three straight 300 yard uh 300 passing yard performances rather and uh he's a big reason why the browns uh are the third team still in contention for that number one playoff seed for the afc he's been a revelation for them and uh it's interesting to think about how good they would be or where the Browns would be if he had been there all season or somebody of that caliber, as opposed to uh, Deshaun Watson, who wasn't playing well at all. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's a rookie and uh, they had PJ Walker uh, for a couple of games as well. And I don't think he was playing very well either. It's interesting to see what that loaded roster can do with an average or competent QB. And this is the result. Amari Cooper, 265 yards and two touchdowns. Against well, a well, said, not a bad defense well, in the Texans' defense. Joe Flacco has had three straight 300-plus passing yard games, which is insane. Their, their pass rate shot up. It, the pass rate for the Jets shot up when he played for him last year. But Watson, who they gave that massive guaranteed deal to, zero 300-plus yard passing games. Zero. Mm-hmm. And and like he's I, – I wouldn't say it's a full season, but I think he's played around 12, 14 games to where that's a big enough sample size. Like you you should have some production, especially with the playmakers he had around him. This was a team we talked about in the offseason as being one of the best in the NFL. When you looked at the defense, when you looked at the O-line, when you looked at the guys that they had on the like wide receiver room. Like, I mean, Joe Flacco's been making David Njoku, Amari Cooper, and Elijah Moore look like the players that they're capable of being. And that's that's awesome, and it's going to make the AFC playoffs that much more interesting, especially when you look at some of the matchups that could potentially be had. If if the Browns go in the Baltimore in, say, the divisional round, that would be an insane game that has a lot of implications. And who knows? Maybe Flacco pulls off the upset and goes on a magical run like he did in 2012. Well, you mentioned uh, the – the Ravens don't play the Browns in the regular season. They end up playing the Steelers in Week 18. That would have been a good matchup. But, yeah, the one seed's up for grabs there pending what happens this week. And it's really good to see what a competent QB can do for you. Hopefully we do get a good matchup like Ravens-Browns in the playoffs. I would say a less competent QB than Joe Flacco uh, on the Pittsburgh Steelers helped George Pickens to having a monster week this week. It was mainly George Pickens. He mainly It was mainly yak yards, but Pickens – 195 yards, two touchdowns on four receptions. It was like a Randy, like a Randy Moss, Moss. Uh, yep, Thanksgiving stat line. stat line. Yeah, but he and uh, didn't DeAndre Hopkins do this earlier this year? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, against it was Will Levis's first game. I think yeah. they were playing. I, I forget who they were playing, but yeah, he had a similar game where it was like three or four receptions on like three touchdowns. Exactly. Like, I, I don't want to say Mason Rudolph helped him to this, but he did throw him the ball. But Pickens' touchdowns were like a 90-yard touchdown. A 50 yard when he took on a slant route like he just absolutely just housed it and then like don't get me wrong antonio brown which i mean he's got his own kind of issues going on if you you look at his twitter and some of the comments he's made but he he was hyping up mason rudolph he thought he was a better option than uh mitch trubisky who they've been rolling out and sure enough he he looked a lot better and he was able to get the playmakers the ball and that's what you're supposed to do as a backup quarterback yeah for sure Uh, that was a big part of why the Steelers were able to get the win this week after that three-game skid where we thought that, oh, this might be the end of their 500 streak. 
I think they know when their 500 streak's about to be up because they always perform as well as they can to keep it going. And uh, we'll see which of the last two games they win to stay above that 500 streak because it will happen. But uh, we'll they're see. They're going to tie the Ravens. That's what's going to happen. They're going to they're going to tie the Ravens and finish <laughs> yeah. the year eight eight and one. Um, but another guy that we want to talk about, and and this has kind of gotten lost since this was a Thursday night game before the holiday weekend. But Puka Nakua, he he had nine receptions, 164 yards, a touchdown. He is looking like the real deal. Um, and I, I'm just curious. Uh, I know we've talked about this guy a lot. Uh, he's been a, a big fantasy uh, boom in terms of waiver wire pickup to start the year. Uh, what did you see out of him coming out of college? Like, where, where did he fall for you in wide receiver rankings? I know uh, some draft experts that I've seen, there were some health concerns with his. But, like, what was his strength and how has he excelled in that here at the pros? If I recall correctly uh, in my notes, and I'll have to go back to what it was, but he did have some health concerns there at BYU, but he was dominant uh, on sidelines and over the middle. He was a guy that could play it like across the field. Uh, I have it pulled up here, Puka Nakua. Yeah, first of all, six foot one, uh, almost six two and 210, big body. So like physical, good, uh, like good in space. And he was like twitchy. He could move like a, uh, on stick routes and stuff like that. He can move across the field well. And that's something that Sean McVay can take advantage of because we saw it with Cooper Cup uh, in his Triple Crown season. He would line him up as basically an XT or as a tight end and match the receiver up against a linebacker or, God forbid, an edge rusher has to drop in coverage. We've seen some of that kind of stuff with Puka, and he's able to take advantage of it with his kind of quick twitchiness and stuff like that. And another thing I wrote down, he's a good and willing blocker. Uh, and that's something that's super valuable in the NFL, especially for <coughs> late round pick. Yeah, Pickens. Yeah, well, he was a second rounder, and we know why Pickens was drafted because of his talent and his ability to like win the ball at the point of catch, which he's one of the best in the league at already. But Nakua is a guy that is a good and willing blocker, and he was a late round pick. I believe he was a fifth round uh, compensatory pick, and that's something that gets you on the field quick especially in a room that uh, started the season with Cooper Cup injured, right? So it was kind of up for grabs. Who was going to be that guy? I thought it might be Van Jefferson. I think we talked about that in the expectations pod. Could have been Tutu Atwell. But Nakua was the one who shined. And it's really been like that all season, even with uh, Cooper Cup coming back and being healthy throughout stretches of it. So it's interesting to uh, to see. He also had a, a pretty pedestrian raw score, 5.17. But it's interesting to see that guys who do the dirty work in college and who are good, uh, like, not, I, I don't want to say like top end athletes because his raw score is low, but when he got the ball, he had good speed. He was good in the open space. Those are guys who can help you at the next level. And I think that's a, a lesson for GMs out there. Les Snead's been one of the best at finding later round picks because F them picks, right? He doesn't have any picks. And he's able to take these guys in late rounds, find them, and they're going to be useful for their teams. And Nakuka, Nakua, excuse me, is a big example of that. We also look back two years ago. Uh, Kyron Williams, I believe, was also a fifth-round pick for yeah. them. And he, he's been phenomenal this year when he's been on the field. So if you can find a guy who's willing to do the stuff to get on the field, I wrote here what is he, what he, what he can be now, uh, special teams uh, slash rotation receiver, like immediately when he was drafted. And that's because of that blocking ability. Got him on the field, and he showed what he could do, and he's been dominating ever since. He has. And I think another thing that needs to be pointed out is having a quarterback that can get you the ball to your playmakers, because that was the one thing Nakua had going for him at BYU. Huge production in college. But like you said, his raw scores, some of the other immeasurables leading up into the draft season, 
he didn't necessarily score all that well, which is kind of why he dropped on top of some of the medical issues, which is something to be concerned about, I think, moving forward. A guy that has an injury history, you just always kind of want to keep that in the back of your mind just moving forward because if that rears its head, all of a sudden we're talking about Puka Nakua in a different light moving forward. But Matthew Stafford, uh, between the Calvin Johnson season, between the Cooper Cup season during the Super Bowl run, and then when you see that he got a guy like Kenny Galladay paid, when you see what he's doing with Puka Nakua, where they're really like on the doorstep of breaking rookie records, like that's something that I think needs to be talked about more. And I think Matthew Stafford doesn't get enough credit. And I'm, and I'm sure he's okay with it. He's he's got his Super Bowl, but again, he's just not talked about like in the same breath as other elite quarterbacks. Another one uh, to that: Golden Tate had his best seasons in Detroit. It wasn't when yeah. in Seattle with Russ. It was in Detroit with uh, Stafford there. Yeah, from the statistical standpoint. And that's it just goes to show you that this guy has an arm. And he was a gunslinger. I mean, this was a guy that came right after kind of the Brett Favre era. And big arm, wasn't wasn't afraid to throw it. And he'll, he'll make a couple knucklehead decisions. But he is just, he's spot on. He'll make alien throws. Rodgers called it a couple years back when he was in Detroit. He's like, guys, look out for this guy. This is, he he's special. Um, and speaking of special quarterbacks, a guy that won the first ever unanimous MVP in the NFL, and, and we've had some great quarterback years between Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you could go back to the Joe Montana days, uh, where you just had quarterbacks just absolutely excelling and dominating the entire NFL. And it was Lamar Jackson who won it back in 2019. And this guy is special the way he can manipulate the pocket. Now, obviously, from a counting uh, statistics standpoint, he was great in 2019. I don't think there was really anybody outside of Mahomes that was close to him in that regards. This year, it's a little bit different. And you could argue that the defense is carrying him. And this is a guy you you had prior to the offseason or prior to the year starting as being the MVP candidate. Why is he still that regardless of what the stats say overall? How does he impact the game to where he is in this discussion? He is in the driver's seat from an odd standpoint. And why should he win it? Well, I know we don't like to talk about QB wins as a stat or anything, but he's a winner. He makes the winning plays. Look, even though they dominated last night, look at the the run he had. I believe it was like a third and 11. He rolls out to yep. the – or actually goes backwards, rolls out to the left, picks up about 35 yards and gets the first down. Lamar does this on a regular basis. And even though like the touchdowns might not be there because they get stopped short or they drop them or something like that. Uh, he's making all the plays that need to be made. I think if you take Lamar Jackson off this team and despite the great defense and everything, their offense is going to plummet. I think if this were a year where Lamar missed the, uh, the last three to four games, like he has the past couple years, if Tyler Huntley were to come into this team, I don't think they'd be scoring 30 points or anything like that. Even with the addition of uh, Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham Jr. and Todd Munkin uh, skimming things up a bit differently, Lamar is the difference maker. And he has been since he's taken over there. I think you can point to guys like uh, Dak Prescott, who had been playing very well up until the last couple of games where he's playing well, he's elevating his players, but they faltered a bit there. I think Lamar's doing a similar thing He's just not getting like the players aren't getting in the end zone from his passes. Like he doesn't have the yak standpoint of a CD lamb or a guy like Tyree kill in uh Tua's case, or look at the Niners. All of their players are yak monsters uh, for all of Purdy's touchdowns there. But uh, th the counting stats certainly aren't there, but if you watch the games and I don't want to be the guy that's like, all right, watch film or watch tape or anything. But if you watch the games, you can see why 
Lamar Jackson sets the Ravens uh, like to the point where they are. The all their losses this year, they've been uh, or all uh, except for one rather, they've been leading going into the fourth quarter. Like th- this is a team that's been yep. dominant most of the year, and on the offensive side of the ball, it's Lamar Jackson as the reason. Now we talked about a bit earlier. This it's a narrative award, right? Because th- this could easily go to a Christian McCaffrey or uh, a Tyree Kill if he somehow can muster up like 450 yards in the next couple of games or something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Lamar is certainly more valuable to his team than almost every other QB in the league this year, but it is a narrative award. And we talked about it earlier. If Tua and the Dolphins win this week, is he going to be the guy to jump to number one in betting odds? Uh, and this is kind of the thing you see when there's been down QB play throughout the league this year. I, I think the only guy who's really been consistent throughout his career uh, looking at his numbers this year is Josh Allen. And even the Bills are, what, the fifth or sixth seed now? And so even if, if they don't get the number one or two seed, you can like just forget about him being in the MVP conversation because you can't really give an MVP to a wild card performer. Well, you have a couple bad bad losses. I mean, they lost right. to the Patriots. They lost to the Broncos. And like I'm, I'm not taking anything away from those teams. This is the NFL. Everybody's a professional. But like those are games that MVP players don't lose. Like, yeah, we, we talk about like the Ravens, like the three losses they have. They controlled for most of the game and they lost it at the end. It's now they're correcting ship and we haven't seen those kind of meltdowns since then. So it's like you want to have those during the regular season because you got to figure out, okay, how do we just keep our foot on the gas? And, and drive ourselves into kind of like a, a, a Super Bowl picture. Right. And I think another thing to look at with the Ravens is they take care of business against some of those teams. Like, look mm-hmm. at the – and this is kind of a Lamar versus the NFC stat here as well. He's only ever lost one game against an NFC opponent. But I think it was three. But, yeah, it's, it's very, very it's, low. It's only one, actually. And teams like the Lions, who were uh, stalwarts going into that game, I believe they were four and one or uh, maybe five and one at that point – 38 to six. Now the defense did its job, right? But the offense, like they had 38 points, Seahawks, 37 points there. Uh, the Rams who are playing pretty well, that was an overtime game, 37 points. And then the Niners in uh, Santa Clara. I know we had the Santa pun last week, uh, 33 points there. And now they did have turnovers, but they capitalized off of them. We see sometimes where teams don't capitalize off of them. Uh, and, that can lead to losing games, but they won these games. And then even their losses Colts in overtime in week two. Uh, yeah. And I believe, I don't believe Richardson played in that game. I believe he was injured week one. So that wasn't, yeah, that was a Gardner Minshew. Uh, like the Steelers at the end, like that was a massive George Steelers at the end. And yeah. then Browns uh, at the end as well. They won by two, I believe. Uh, was that a, no, that was a Watson game that they won. Yep. Uh, that was Watson's best game. But too, a lot of turnovers from Lamar. That's mm-hmm. the only knock I will say on Lamar is he has one of the highest negative play rates in in the NFL. And it's he, he can sometimes take a couple poor sacks because he he buys time behind the pocket. He sometimes makes some knucklehead interceptions. And it's it's nice to have a defense like he has to where it can bail him out. And I think some of these can also be attested to working through some some schematic issues first year on the job with Todd Monken, seeing how everything fits together. But down the stretch, it's it's hard to say this team isn't one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Yeah, uh, five-game winning streak, uh, their last loss being that uh, last second win for the Browns. And they do have a, another tough test coming up with the Dolphins this week, but they are hosting like we talked about. So that's going to be paramount, I think, to uh, Lamar Jackson's MVP 
discussion because like you said the, the award from a betting odds perspective has kind of been bobbled around past or like past a month or so from like Dak Prescott to Brock Purdy now to Lamar if the Dolphins win it might go to Tua or Tyreek Hill so you never know but th- that's going to be a big one for the narrative for the MVP award yeah and and like you said this is a narrative driven award everybody knows this and it, it kind of stinks because it, it would be nice to have a metric that goes we're awarding this to truly the most valuable player and maybe at some point there will be a war metric like wins above replacement that we can really use to kind of judge some of these players accurately but at this point it, it i feel like it's a a vibes based award for this year um, and it goes to show that this matchup against the the Dolphins is very paramount for that because I feel like if the Ravens win that, they put themselves in the driver's seat for the number one seed and Lamar kind of solidifies himself there. And that's why I think he has a lot to prove with putting on 30 points on this Dolphins defense. And we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, we're going to move into a section. So uh, next week, it's going to be the flip of what we're doing this week. But I, I think we really want to talk on just some of the bad takes we had going into this year now that we're kind of coming to the conclusion of the 2023 season. And the big one was, and I harped on this a lot in the offseason, whether it was this podcast, uh, whether it was Twitter, um, I came out and I was I, I, I was very unimpressed with the Rams and Bucks from a talent standpoint. And they didn't look good last year. And, and this year has been a, a complete 180. In the case of the Rams, they have a elite quarterback with Matthew Stafford. They've had uh, younger guys like Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua step up. They drafted Steve Avila, who has helped solidify that offensive line. Uh, in, in the case of the Bucks, they have some great pass catchers, and their offensive line that we thought was going to be bottom five, they've been a top five in terms of like a composite pass protection rating from Ben Baldwin. So when, when you look at that stuff, they've been able to kind of elevate. Uh, Baker's been playing amazingly. Uh, and these are two teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Uh, the, the Bucks will probably be the fourth seed, and the, the Rams will probably be anywhere from the sixth to the seventh seed. And it's, it's just cool to see two teams that, from a talent standpoint, didn't look like they have it. And, and from coaching, from player development, uh, they've, they've taken that step. And that's something that I hope from a Panther standpoint with such a bad year that we've had this year, that that's a 180 we can make in the future. So uh, I, I, I'm definitely, uh, it can succumb to bad takes. And in this case, those were probably my, my two worst in the offseason. What about you? Uh, well, first to touch on the two teams that you have listed here, I think they're doing it in op- like different ways. Uh, we talked about the talent deficit that the Rams have, and even though people are performing, I, I still think they are at a talent deficit when you look at maybe first-round picks or free agents because of how much they spend, right? But the coaching for the Rams has been on point this season oh with uh, McVay and Raheem mm-hmm. Morris. I think what Morris is uh, doing is more uh, impressive to me because it is. The, looking at the defensive side of the ball, you have – all right, Aaron Donald. Akella That's it. Witherspoon, Akella Byron Witherspoon, Young. Who, like, I, well, like it's just... Akella Witherspoon, who, whom they added, I believe, in training camp. Byron Young, a rookie, a, a very old rookie. He was a fifth-year senior from Tennessee. Uh, so not a ton of guys there, but Morris has made him very competent. And then the Bucks, I think it's the opposite. I think the talent has kind of shown through. Baker's played at a level that I didn't expect him to play. He's playing better than he was in Cleveland, even. And uh, the pass catchers there are performing. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the defense was already there, but they're playing well. The offensive line, which was shuffled around a ton uh, in the offseason, where we thought might, that might be an issue, they've played very well uh, in their new positions. Like Luke Gadecki, who was horrible his rookie year, playing very well. Tristan Wirfs playing very well at left tackle. So that's really good to see there. 
my bad take, and it was two AFC teams on my side. I didn't think the Colts and the Texans had enough to compete early in their new kind of rebuilds here, but we see another good coaching uh, masterclass in both of these cases. The Colts, Steichen has them performing despite Anthony Richardson missing most of the year. He has them playing well with Gardner Minshew, and while their defense isn't very impressive, they're still 8-7 and seven and they're scoring a ton of points. And then the Texans, it's kind of the, not the flip. I think both of their uh, their new play callers and D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick are coaching at a high level. I think what Stroud's been able to do, given the system and all the weapons that they've added, has been very, very impressive uh, for a rookie quarterback. Tank Dell and Nico Collins are playing at a high level. Stroud obviously was having a career or not career like a rookie of the year type year uh before he went down with a concussion a couple weeks ago then the defensive side of the ball where they've invested some talent has been playing well under D'Amico Ryans we talked about the uh the Browns game earlier and while the Browns did end up scoring I believe it was 36 in that game the Texans defense was fighting uh and really kind of kept them in the game even though it doesn't sound like it because it was 36 points but they were making plays down the stretch uh Derek Stingley Jr. I believe has five interceptions in the last seven weeks or something like that so and when he's healthy they're on like playing at a high level so I think the coaching job for both of these teams has really kept them in the playoff picture and currently we talked about all three of those teams the Jaguars included have the same record and I think the Texans are the first one on the bubble looking in and I do believe the Jags and Colts are currently, if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's one of those things. I think the Jags have kind of the easier route to win the division. They have the Panthers and the Titans, I think, the wrap up the year. Uh, and those are two very winnable games. Like they've obviously been in kind of on this four game losing streak, but these are these are games that I could see them gutting out. Uh, it will be interesting to see kind of who pulls this off. We talked about in the AFC South kind of breakdown. I was I was impressed by the wider receiving core the Texans kind of put together. Uh, it wasn't super stellar, but they had your guy, Nico Collins. They drafted Tank Dell. Uh, they brought in Robert Woods, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz. Like they made it important to add so many pieces. And like, I, don't get me wrong. We added Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, drafted Jonathan Mingo. We tried to do the same thing. It just didn't pan out. We didn't get the right guys or they they don't weren't right for the system that we were trying to deploy, especially with how much we were trying to run 11 personnel. And we're, we're seeing success with other rookie coaches that we anticipated for our own squad. So it's it's kind of cool to see. Uh, hopefully we can get a coach that kind of elevates this squad in the same way next year. Uh, and time will tell on that. And and we'll we'll go over our, our takes that we feel like uh, we're, we're justified in next week. But I think that's a good starting point for kind of where we kind of messed up and, and things that kind of change in our evaluation as we move forward. For sure, uh, as much fun as it is to look at the the takes you that you hit on or the players you hit on and stuff like that, it's important to reflect on your bad mistakes. Um, but all four of these teams, uh, in both of our cases, are performing at a high level, and we didn't necessarily see it. And it'll be good to take this information moving forward and going into next year, maybe be better at predicting and stuff like that. I think coaching is something I kind of underrated, clearly in my case. And uh, that's something I'm going to have to look at going forward. But it's good to see. And it's also good to see that uh, teams are outperforming expectations. It's always good to see an underdog, maybe not like a, a market favorite underdog, but an underdog in your own eyes 
kind of uh, take the leap and improve throughout the season. And speaking of an underdog going into this week, uh, I misspoke earlier. We are playing on New Year's Eve, not New Year's Day. But we're going down to Jacksonville for our Week 17 game against the Jags. And the way we've been playing the past couple of weeks, I think we can spoil them. And uh, my key or my main key to the game is to make Trevor Lawrence or if it's CJ Beathard, I don't know if Lawrence will be playing this week with the injuries, make him struggle. Uh, if we're able to make QB struggle like we saw with Ritter, the game is within reach. This is this is a bad O-line. So I think Evro, where he likes dropping a lot of guys back in coverage, this is a game where I think Derek Brown and Brian Burns have to take over. Like Brian Burns talked about getting paid around like 28 million. That was kind of, it sounded like the range he wanted to get paid this all season. Like you want that, then this is a game where you get three or four sacks. Like this is, this is a game where, okay, go win it for us. So the, the, the plate isn't all on the offense to go and produce like it was this past week uh, because the Jaguars have been tough against teams that run 11 personnel. I think we have an advantage with 12 personnel looks. And if we have Sullivan and Tremble and Mingo and some big bodies out there, and that creates some space for guys like DJ Chark and one-on-one opportunities and even Adam Thielen across the middle, like that's, that's kind of what you want to see from the game plan this week. Uh, I have a feeling that Tabor is going to have the guys playing competitively. So I, I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any means, but it's it's cutting down on the mistakes because the margin for error is really, really low. And this team shouldn't be taken for granted. This team did jump out to an eight and three start. Uh, it has been disappointing for him over the past month, but this is a good team still. And that's something that we need to respect. Yeah, for sure. I think if we can maintain consistency on offense, kind of like the second half of last week, I think if we can build off that, then we can have a, a fighter, like a fighter's chance. We lost the Packers game, not because like the refs or anything, even though there are some questionable calls there, but because the first half, we were just flat on both sides of the ball, but particularly on offense. I think if we can kind of lock in and play like we did in the second half, despite playing from behind, I think we can maybe pull off another upset and spoil another playoff hopeful like we did uh, against Atlanta a couple weeks ago. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely what we can do. Uh, we definitely won't be able to spoil kind of the Bucks playoff hopes. I think they've kind of locked themselves into winning the NFC South, uh, especially with the New Orleans Saints kind of falling to the Los Angeles Rams this past Thursday. But moving into an actual playoff scenario we are we're not in the playoffs for the nfl but we are approaching the college football playoffs this weekend and your team the alabama crimson tine will face the michigan wolverines in the rose bowl and then in the sugar bowl texas will play washington uh we typically talk about in this section kind of prospects and you have a couple from all of these teams that you kind of want to go over and touch on that could be late round picks for the panthers but i want to first hear your thoughts on how you see these games going this week um and who do you think has the advantage because i think that's probably the most intriguing case uh because i i want to see good football and i'd be curious to see who you think has the advantage well, I don't want to tease you, but I already wrote down my take, my perfect take this week, and it kind of goes over uh, that exact topic. So I'm going to save that for a couple more minutes. Uh, okay. In okay. Terms fair of enough. How I fair see enough. Them playing out, but uh, I do think all four of these teams, obviously being the four best teams as decided by the committee in college this year, all four of them have some worthy, draftable people for us, uh, especially in the later rounds. I know we've looked at kind of early picks, maybe offensive line or wide receiver at that 33rd or 
if we pull off some wins that 34th pick. But uh, I want to focus on some later round guys because we talked about with Les Snead and the Rams, those late round guys can be impactful players on your team. You just have to be able to find them. And the first one I want to talk about is with Alabama, and that is Chris Braswell. A lot of people are focusing on Dallas Turner, who's going to be a first round pick. Is uh, an edge rusher, the the guy who followed up what Will Anderson did. I, I think he's been, if not the best, one of the top two or three best edge rushers in college football this year. But the guy playing across from him, Chris Braswell, is second in the SEC in sacks, only to Dallas Turner. And he, he's kind of a more of like a like an Etor Gross Matos kind of guy. He sets the edge really well, but he does have the moves to get after the QB. And I think that uh, him being a bit older, playing for four years at Alabama, and him kind of being in the shadow of Turner and another D-line guy in Justin Aboigby, I think that's going to cause him to fall maybe into the third or fourth round or maybe even the fifth round, I think that's where you can snag a guy for some defensive line depth. Because like we talked about, if Brian Burns doesn't come back, we're going to need edge rushers. And even if he, we do re-sign him, who's starting across from him? Who's rushing the passer at a high level? We're going to need guys that can do that. And I think he's one of the guys that can. And then on the other side of the ball, they're playing Michigan. I think the uh, the crux of their offense, it's not the passing game by any means. We, we've seen what... Uh, Wait, JJ so you McCarthy aren't saying J.J. McCarthy <laughs> isn't him? I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, we've seen him not be a prolific passer, I'll say, over the past few games that Michigan has played. Uh, go back to the Penn State game where he threw like six times or whatever it was. But it's it's the run game for them. And Blake Corum is the headliner. He was a Heisman hopeful two years ago before his injury. But Donovan Edwards, their other running back, he's more of an like – more elusive, kind of like Chuba Hubbard, more elusive, not like a downhill pounder, but when he can get that one cut and get upfield, he can really move it. And that's how they were able to beat Ohio State a couple years ago. And I don't know if you remember, but that was uh, Ohio State was leading at halftime. And then Edwards reeled off like two 60 plus yard rushing touchdowns. And that's what won Michigan the game. That's the kind of guy that can fit into a running back rotation pretty easily. I don't know if I've talked about it on the pod or not, but I believe that every team should always draft a running back in like rounds four to six every year to keep your running back room fresh. That way you never have to overpay if you don't want to. And you have a full, like a fresh running back rotation. This is the kind of guy that uh, I would draft there. He's just a guy that can fit into any team and kind of do the, the one cut role, not like not be the, uh, the Deontay Foreman pounder, but be like Chuba Hubbard. I think he's very similar there. in the fact that he can get up field and, even on those short runs, he can uh, lower his shoulder and get a couple yards. And having a guy like that, in, and I want to go to your point of drafting guys in the fourth to the sixth round, I think that is so paramount because we see it, and I don't want to praise necessarily Bill Belichick. He has a, a lot of blemishes when drafting guys on the offensive side of the ball, but he he's typically good about drafting some of those later round running backs. And Chuba Hubbard will be entering the fourth year on his pretty much the last year of his rookie deal this next year. And getting his replacement would be paramount. And it would be nice to find like a Deontay Foreman, the pair with kind of that 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 lightning back. You have a thunder, just it can pound yards out. Because that's what we haven't had this year. And that's why we struggled. We had a, a missed fourth and two conversion this past week against the Packers. We struggle when we're on the goal line. To have a guy like that is also something we need to look at. And I'd be curious if we can find that in free agency or the draft. Um, but yeah, I think the guy out of Michigan would be a perfect Chuba replacement. Hey, we had a we had a fourth and one QB sneak that we ended up converting. I don't want to say. Well, the the Packers hey, literally and... left that gap wide open. Like that that's hey. just 
I, I and smart play on the quarterback, like props to Bryce. But again, the Packers aren't a defense that I'm going to write home about and say that they're playing smart from a schematic standpoint. I'm just saying Bryce Young is 100% on his QB sneaks into his young career. But uh, going to the other uh, college football playoff semifinal bowl game, the Sugar Bowl, uh, Texas versus Washington. Now, the the big headliner for Texas is their wide receivers, right? Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. Both are worthy, no pun intended, of probably being a top 40-ish pick. I have Adonai Mitchell as a first-rounder currently. Xavier Worthy is a second-rounder. So I could see both of those guys going early. But their defensive line, especially on the interior, is why they're able to play at such a high level on defense. And they have two guys, Tyvondre Sweat, who might be the best interior defensive line player in the league right now. But they have another guy, Byron Murphy, the second. I don't know if he's related to uh, former Dallas corner, um, Byron Murphy. Dallas corner? He was Cardinals corner now. Oh, Cardinal, excuse me. I was thinking of... uh, Who's I thinking of? You're uh, thinking of uh, Byron. Uh, I, he went to Miami. I'm trying to remember yeah. his his last name. I'm going to say Young, but it's not. It was it Byron yeah. Jones. Byron yeah, Jones. Hold on. Yeah, it, it, I think it was Byron. Uh, my apologies yep. to Byron Murphy if if you're listening to this, but um, he's he's a real force on the interior. Where Sweat is more of a nose tackle. Murphy's able to kind of penetrate the gaps there from the three tech position and get upfield and rush the passer. That was a big reason why they were able to beat Alabama. The first time they played him was that interior D line play against Alabama's uh, more porous O line early in the season. I think Murphy's a guy that can play alongside Derek Brown because they kind of move Brown uh, along that line on the Evero scheme between nose tackle and three tech and five tech and one tech and everything. I think Murphy's the guy who can stay there because we were talking about it earlier with the Packers game. We don't really have the depth there on along the defensive line. And that's a guy I think in the later rounds can play a good role for us. And then uh, on the other side of the ball, the other trenches, they're playing Washington who have one of the better offensive linemen in college football. And that's Troy Fontenot. He's going to be an interior player in the league. He'll probably slide into left guard. And if you listen to our podcast uh, at all, not, maybe not the past couple of weeks because we've been pretty good the past couple of weeks, but any from like weeks two to what, 15, yep. there was an Iki Aquanu segment in the, uh, in the Panthers loss segment at the top of the pod. And I think the left side of the O-line has really struggled and the whole O-line uh, in general, but I think nailing that left guard spot, whether it be Brady Christensen coming back, whether Icky ends up kicking inside or whether we draft somebody, I think Fontenot's a guy that can really hold up in pass protection. He moves his feet well, uses his arms well, and he has the anchor, which is uh, kind of being able to set your feet and move with uh, your feet there. He has the anchor to be able to hold up against some stronger rushers. And that's going to be a key matchup for me. The two guys I mentioned, Murphy against Fontenot or Sweat against Fontenot for Texas and Washington in the Sugar Bowl to determine the outcome. Because while Washington probably has the best offense, of any of the four teams in the playoff, Texas defense is one of the stronger suits for them. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. That should be a good one and fun one to watch. Uh, I know in your perfect takes, you're going to break down how you feel like these games will kind of play out. And speaking of perfect takes, my perfect take is in regards to the Dallas Cowboys, who are on a two-game losing streak after going on the road against Buffalo and Miami. And this was something we talked about a few weeks ago, that if had they pulled those games off, I think 
Dak would be in the driver's seat for MVP. Obviously, they lose both of them. The Dolphins game was more of in a heartbreak fashion with just kind of silly mistakes on the goal line and uh, obviously not being able to put enough points on the board uh, for obviously the game-winning field goal that the the Dolphins had. Um, But this week, at home against the Detroit Lions, a team that they have five consecutive wins against, their point spread is is six points at this point. They're, They're favored the win by six. And the past two games, they've won by eight or more. Uh, the the most recent game coming last year in October, uh, it was in Dallas, and they won twenty four to six. And this is a game that, as as much as we want to talk about the Lions from an offensive perspective, they have a great offensive line. They have playmakers. Uh, they have arguably one of the best play callers in Ben Johnson. Um, this is a team that I think can get exposed on defense. I, I think they're going to struggle to stop Ceedee Lamb, Jake Ferguson, um, and Dak Prescott. I think this is a game a statement win that they make in their pursuit of trying to win the NFC East. It's going to get a little tight. They probably need the Cardinals or Giants to pull up and pull off an upset against the Eagles. But I think this is a statement win in Arlington. Um, what about you? What are your college playoff expectations? Uh, do you see Michigan upsetting Alabama? Or are you uh, you a homer in this one? Well, to be clear, Michigan is favored um, in that game in the Rose Bowl. But uh, I, I like your take. I also picked Dallas mainly because Dallas is a monster at home. And this will be in Arlington like you were talking about. So I've got Dallas there. But my take is that both of the lower-seeded teams in Alabama and Texas will pull off the wins on New Year's Day. And we will be treated to an Alabama-Texas rematch in the college football playoff championship. I believe it's a week after the games on Monday. So I think we'll have some good ones there. I I like the Alabama matchup against Michigan. We talked about how McCarthy is not a prolific passer, nor do they have prolific pass catchers. Although I do like Roman Wilson as a later round pick, kind of similar to Malachi Corley. But um, I think Alabama has the defense to match up well against them. And then... On the flip side, I don't, I'm not quite sure how Michigan is going to react to Alabama's passing game. They struggled against uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., and I'm not saying any of Bama's players are of that caliber, but uh, Jalen Milrow is one of the best deep passers in college football. And we see time and time again how Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton are able to get open over the top. I think that's going to be a point of weakness for Michigan, and I think Michigan may struggle with the QB run game. I don't think that they've faced a QB in conference play that's been as a dynamic runner as Jalen Milrow. And we saw what he was able to do, I believe, against LSU, I want to say. Or, no, I believe it was Mississippi State, where he had – no, it was LSU, I'm mistaken, where he had four rushing touchdowns. And so that's an element that I don't think they've seen so far, and I don't know how their defense is going to react to it. This isn't the defense that had Aiden Hutchinson on one side and David Ojabo on the other with Chris Hinton in the middle. Uh, this isn't the team like that. And I, I like Alabama's odds to win there. And then Texas-Washington, like I talked about. Washington's offense is for sure the best of these four teams. Michael Penix Jr. throwing to three draftable wide receivers and Odunze, who's going to be top 15. Jalen McMillan, excellent slot guy. And Jalen Polk, who may go back uh, to school for a year. But he's excellent along the perimeter as well against Texas's defense. And I think that's a fun matchup. But then on the other side, Texas's offense with Quinn Ewers and their star receivers, 
I think they're going to be able to score pretty easily on Washington's defense. So I like Bama. I like Texas. And when we see the results of these games, I will make my take that week about the college football playoff national championship matchup. There we go. And for the listeners, we hit on our perfect takes last week. I said Buffalo would win, Houston and Indy would fall. They kind of put Buffalo in kind of that seventh seed spot. Um, what you talked about last week with Lamar kind of taking a firm grip on the MVP conversation and kind of uh, usurping Brock Purdy, which he did last night. Um, both of us hit, so hopefully we both hit again this week. I think as the season wraps up, we'll talk about our record there. Uh, we've been from our weekly bets, our pickums. I think we're both over 600. Uh, you're a little bit behind 500 on your bets. I'm a little bit over. I think I'm like 24, 22, and two. Um, we'll we'll talk more about that in our post this coming week. If you guys have questions for the next podcast as w- this season is winding down shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes. Uh, As for this week and this episode, we're about wrapped up. So we'll catch you guys next week.